to go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of James. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can grab an insert. Uh, the passage for today is found uh, in that insert. We also have some Bibles available for you on the back table. As you're turning there, I want to talk just for a moment uh, by way of introduction. I want to talk about preaching. And this is not something that I often do. Uh, Maybe it's because I've got the the new members class mindset on, and I've been talking to those folks about why we do what we do and and why we don't do what others do and that kind of thing. And so I want to talk about preaching, and it comes out of a a sermon that I listened to by John Piper the other week, and some of you will know that name. I don't agree with everything Piper says or everything, all the ways that he says it, but but I I love that man, and he has done a wonderful uh, service to the kingdom of God. God in a lot of ways. And um, one of the things that he and I see eye to eye on is what we're doing, what we're about to do now. Uh, me standing behind this beautiful wood lectern, which we call a pulpit, and opening up this ancient book, which we believe is more than just an ancient book, but the Word of God, and proclaiming it to you. Um, John Piper has a two-word phrase to describe what we're doing. He calls it expository exaltation. And he's wrote a book on expository exaltation, which and now having listened to the sermon, I want to read the book, which I do own the book. Uh, it's sitting on my shelf. Um, but he fleshes out what that means. When he says expository, basically a preacher's job, my job, is to explain and to apply this book. That's all. And he says this, I want to read a quote to you. He says, the preacher's job is to minimize his own opinions, to help you eat and digest biblical truth that will make your spiritual bones more like steel, that will double the capacity of your spiritual lungs, will make the eyes of your heart dazzled with the brightness of the glory of God, and will awaken the capabilities of your soul to experience kinds of spiritual joy you did not know existed. That's a beautiful statement. I wish I could do that every week with y'all, but I I preach some duds, I I admit. Expository, it's my job to explain God's Word to you. And then the second word he uses is exaltation. Not just explaining the Bible, but we collectively in this context, we exult with a U, not an A, not exalt, exult over this book over this revelation that I am speaking to you. This is part of our worship, this segment we're about to walk into. We don't just want to see the truth and and know it. We want to see it and savor it. We want to delight and enjoy the God who has given it. Expository exaltation. That's what we're about, week in and week out here at Ascension. That's my prayer for us, that we will be dazzled with the brightness and the glory of who our God is, that you will hear from Him as I, in my weakness and in my frailty, seek to proclaim this truth to you. Let's pray. James chapter 5 is where we are this morning. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Those of you who were here last week, these are the same verses we went over, uh, but we're uh, tackling the end part. If you're able, uh, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 5, verses 13 
through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And go ahead and be seated. As I said already, this is part two of our discussion of prayer from James chapter 5. Last week, I sought to show us that God invites you to embrace Him in suffering, in joy, when you are sick, in all seasons of life. God invites you to embrace Him. And I, I, I worded it that way I phrased it that way because I wanted to move past the duty-driven obedience of I've just got to pray more. God is offering Himself to you in this invitation. That's what the word embrace means. It means to hold someone close. And specifically, as we looked at last week, His invitation was to first embrace the body of Christ Embrace the body of Christ through your elders, through the calling of them to pray for you. Embrace the body of Christ through your brothers and sisters as you confess your sins to one another, as you live in community with one another, as you bear each other's burdens. And of course, at the heart of this entire passage is that activity of prayer, embracing God through prayer. And so, as we pick up the discussion uh, in these same verses today, I want us um, to close off this section with just one more truth, and I'm going to kind of do it in the same vein as where we were last week. One encouragement, one admonition, and then we'll tie a bunch of things into there. So, there'll be one point, kids, but there'll be lots of little points under there. So, I want little points too, all right? And it's this, embrace the power of prayer. If last week was God invites you to embrace Him, and God invites you to embrace the body of Christ, then we close it all out with God invites you to embrace the power of prayer. Here's a title of a news article came out a few years ago. Long-awaited medical study questions the power of prayer. It was published in the New York Times, and it began this way, the article did. Prayers offered by strangers had no effect on the recovery of people who were undergoing heart surgery, a large and long-awaited study has found. Now, I'm not sure who was waiting for this study, but somebody was, apparently. 
It's almost absurd, right? As we think about it as people of God, as people of prayer, it's almost absurd. The conclusion by much of the world is just this, though, that prayer doesn't do anything. Prayer is actually for us. It's just for you. It's just to make you feel better when you feel helpless. It's just to make you think you're contributing something when you really can't do anything. Does prayer really do anything? The end of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Hold on, here we go. Genesis 20, 17, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. Genesis 25, 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Exodus 8, 30 and 31, Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh. 1 Samuel 1, 10, 19 and 20, Speaking of Hannah, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. She wept bitterly, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called him Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Isaiah 37, 21, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken. Luke 1.13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Do you get the point? The Bible believes that prayer works. Prayer changes things. And this is not some ancient ignorance before the scientific method, before we knew that the earth wasn't, uh, before we knew that the earth wasn't flat. Th- that's not what this is. God's power is unleashed in prayer. Chrysostom, fourth century pastor, wrote this, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions. It's hushed anarchy to rest. It's extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assuaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Chrysostom believed in the power of prayer. The question is, do we? I, like you, I struggle to pray. I struggle both to make time for prayer, and I struggle to do it. Why? Well, I have to say, at the heart of that is is unbelief in me, unbelief in you. On this very point, if I believe because science has proven that chemotherapy is going to help my cancer, I'm not going to miss a treatment no matter how unpleasant it is. And if I believe that God could sovereignly have an effect on my cancer with or without modern medicine, but true to His sovereign power over all things, then I'm going to pray every single day. 
And so James' point, remember, James' letter is all in the context of, of, of giving legs to a first century church that's trying to figure out what a life of faith, what a life of following Jesus looks like. And he's saying, undergirding your entire life is prayer. Embrace the power of prayer. Don't believe the lie. It wasn't so much the case in the first century, but I say it to you. Don't believe the lie that the scientific method is the litmus test for all truth. But accept and believe and rejoice in the fact that our world is enchanted. That there is more in this room right now than just flesh and blood. There is spiritual presence right now in this room. And it's not just that our world's enchanted, but it's that we have a heavenly Father who brings that enchanted world into our world. In fact, we could say that the fatherhood of of God is the most, if not the most, foundational aspect of His character. And maybe if we meditated more on the fatherhood of God, maybe we'd go to Him more. My kids don't hesitate to come to me unless they're wanting to play the Xbox, then they don't ask me. But in every other situation, they come and ask me stuff. Listen to this quote from a book I've quoted to you before. I gave this to one of you recently. I've been rereading it. It's from Michael Reeves. And he says, Since God is, before all things, a father, and not primarily creator or ruler, all his ways are beautifully fatherly. It's not that God does being, it's not that this God does quote-unquote, being father as a day job, only to kick back in the evenings as plain old God. It is not that he has a nice blob of fatherly icing on top. He is father all the way down, that all that he does and all that he is is a father. He creates as a father. He rules as a father. And that means the way he rules over creation is most unlike any other way most unlike the way any other God would rule over creation. And so when when James tells us to embrace God through the power of prayer, he's telling us to embrace the Father and to embrace the Father's presence. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Isn't that how Jesus taught us? So now returning to our passage, let's think a little about what this embracing prayer looks like. I have three things from our text that I want to camp out on. Three subpoints, kiddos. Prayer that believes, prayer that is passionate, and prayer that is righteous. Prayer that believes, prayer that is passionate, and prayer that is righteous. It's all from the text here, I pray. First of all, pray that, prayer that believes. Last week, we began to look at a significant uh, scenario, a specific scenario that the book of James gives us here. Someone's sick, they call for the elders, the elders come over, they anoint that person with oil, and they pray for them. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, let me reiterate the fact. 
lest I was unclear, that I believe that we ought to be doing this today. That I want some of you on the phone to Nate Hitchcock. Would you come over? Would you grab some elders? I need to be prayed for. We ought to be doing this today. But this is a strong verse, right? This is a strong verse. It sounds almost like a blanket guarantee. Believe, have faith, and your prayer will be effective. Brothers and sisters, so much damage has been done in the church surrounding this verse. People who say that the amount of faith is tied to the effectiveness of our prayers, or more pointedly, that our lack of faith is tied to the ineffectiveness of prayers or ineffectiveness of healing in this case. That is not what James is saying. James is not giving us some magic equation. Elders plus oil plus prayers of faith equals healing all the time. And you say, well, why? Why isn't he saying that? Well, let me give you three reasons why under this first subpoint. First of all, when we pray, brothers and sisters, we embrace a big God. A big God. The Scriptures teach us that God is sovereign, that God does whatever He pleases. He sees all. He knows all. He has a plan, and He has a purpose in all things. Therefore, we don't know what's best, even when we think we do. Can you imagine if we always got what we asked for when we prayed? I can think of specific prayers where I was on my knees, fervently believing and earnestly praying that the Lord would do such a thing, and He didn't do it. And in hindsight, I say, thank you. Father, that you didn't answer that prayer, at least not in the way that I wanted you to answer that prayer. There is really no unanswered prayer, right? There is the the denial, there is the answer, no, I'm not going to do that. But it's still love. It's from a loving Father who sees and, and knows all Going back to chapter 4, verse 13, in that section about boasting about today or tomorrow, James has already said that humility is our life stance. Humility before God is our life stance. We don't know what's coming. So how dare you boast? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. You may, but you may get sick, and there may be an earthquake, and you might not be able to go where you thought you were going to go. That's the God that the Bible teaches. But secondly, we know that the prayer of faith isn't magic or isn't merely about our faith because think of Paul. Think of Jesus. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians about this thorn in the flesh that had been given to him. We don't know exactly what it was, but three times he says, I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, that's kind of a bum deal for Paul, right, from an earthly perspective. Man. But when you take a step back, that's not a bum deal for Paul. That's the Lord's sovereign, fatherly love for him. You don't understand it, but it's true. Are we willing to say that just Paul just needed more faith? What about Jesus? Jesus on the Mount of Olives prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
And being in agony, Luke records, he prayed more earnestly and sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Did Jesus just need more faith? No. This was the Father's will. Jesus' cries would not change it. The last reason we ought not to think of this as a blanket statement is this. James, you know, James doesn't use medical terms here in James chapter 5. His terms are much broader, much broader than just physical healing. James could very well be talking about physical healing. There have been cases of people being anointed with oil and prayed over by the elders that healing has taken place at that moment. Praise God. But there have been instances where those same elders with the same oil have gone and prayed for others, and the Lord has seen fit to not heal them physically. James is talking, I think, ultimately about something bigger. Spiritual healing, growth in grace, and ultimately complete restoration at the end of all things. You will be healed. We all will be healed. So we can confidently say, yes, the Lord will heal, but it may not be as you thought, and it may not be as you even desired. So then what is the call to believe, the call to faith all about? Well, I think it relates to chapter 1, verse 6. You can flip over there with me if you want. Chapter 1, verse 6 in the same letter, but let him, James says, let him ask in faith. Remember this section on wisdom? Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Remember, the doubting man is a double-minded man. This is different than having weak faith because I have weak faith and you have weak faith. But double-mindedness is different. The doubter is hedging his bets, right? The doubter is just like throwing up a Hail Mary. He has no confidence that anything's going to work, but he's just, it's a last-ditch attempt. I'm just going to do whatever. James has already called us to a faith that's anchored in Christ and in God's promises. God, you promised, do what you said. Remember that great confession in the Gospels, I believe, help my unbelief. Prayer being both the expression of faith as well as the engine that keeps it going, right? It's the opposite of I got this. You don't got it. I need you, Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full, John 16, 23 and 24. Embrace the power of prayer by believing, believing in his promises, believing that he is able. That's what James is asking us to do. Well, that's the longest of the three subpoints, just so you know. Not just embrace the power of prayer by believing, but embrace the power of prayer, prayer that is passionate or fervent. Right? James essentially tells the church, pray like Elijah, church. It's kind of like me telling my, my boys, boys, go shoot like Steph Curry. You can do it. Go pray like Elijah. 
I mean, come on, Elijah was a legend. First Kings 17, Elijah stretched himself on the child three times, cried out to the Lord. The child's life came back into him, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Remember the showdown with Baal in the life of Elijah? And then before all this, recorded for us in 1 Kings 16 and 17, is what's referred to. King Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. Judgment was coming from the Lord in the form of a famine, and this was God's will. So Elijah prayed fervently for it, and it was so. Elijah is a rock star. No, he's not, James says. He's a man, just like you our flesh and bone. He was weak. He ran away. He despaired. His faith was an absolute wreck at times. In other words, he was all the things that we are. James is not exalting Elijah and saying, man, just pray like Elijah. Just pray with that kind of passion, that kind of fervency. You'll be great. No, he's saying, Elijah's just like you guys. Pray in weakness God used him. God used him to accomplish his purposes. Was Elijah fervent and passionate? Yes, but God said, God did what he said that he would do through the voice of Elijah. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So passionate prayer is about looking outside of yourself, embracing the power of a God whose strength is shown in our weakness. It's not up to your own passion or persistence. Well, the last thing about embracing the power of prayer is probably the most daunting. Embrace the power of prayer by believing. Embrace the power of prayer through passion, fervency, and then finally embrace the power of prayer through being righteous. Right? That's what it says. That's what it says about Elijah. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Well, this is kind of a downer way to end, because count me out. <laughs> James is not saying the more righteous you are, the more powerful your prayer. No, he's saying that the Lord's ear is tuned to His own. The Father's ear is tuned to his own. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We love that verse. And he goes on to say in that chapter that in Christ Jesus we have been given the Spirit, verse 15, that Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The point is not that the volume that God hears your voice is proportionate to your righteousness. The point is that the prayer of a forgiven sinner hidden in the life of Jesus, interceded by the work of the Spirit, walking in His ways with all the grace that He's been given and all the strength He can muster, that kind of prayer can move mountains. 
the less powerful, the more dependent we are, the more we unleash the power of God in our lives. Isn't that amazing? So I guess we could say embrace the power of prayer at the end of the day by embracing Jesus, by hiding in Jesus, by praying through Jesus, by humbling yourself before Jesus, united to Him, walking in Him, praying in Him, you ask and you will receive. Embrace the power of prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for these great and precious promises that are for us, Your people, those who are called by Your name, those adopted in Your family, sons and daughters of the Most High. Father, we pray that we would go out of this place with a greater sense not of our power to get things done or to accomplish things or to clean ourselves up so that we can somehow pray a righteous prayer. No, may we go from this place in awe of the power that You have, that You invite Your people to embrace by believing fervently through the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, make us people of prayer, we pray, for the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name, amen.